read scripts. Just read as many scripts as you can get. All of the Oscar-nominated scripts are online and free. Hi, and welcome to Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the LaFemme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people that want to know more about making film and television in this industry of entertainment. Today, I am uber excited to have William Nedved on. He is an amazing writer. He's a co-founder and ensemble member of the Gift Theater Company of Chicago. His plays Body and Blood, uh, Northwest Highway uh, have shown there. Northwest Highway uh, was and got the Steinberg American Theater Critics Association nomination in 2011. The Ravages was produced by Theater of Note. He has written the book and lyrics for Medusa the Musical. Uber, uber fun. His play uh, Closet Drama or the Dick Pick of a Twink was part of the 2018 LAMBDA Literary Fest in Los Angeles. He has an MA in Theater Studies from the University of New South Wales in Sydney and an MFA in Film and Television Writing from the University of Southern California. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. You know, I like to start off sometimes with how did you get this this bug, this this writing bug? Did it hit you in middle school? Did it hit you in high school? Where did all of a sudden you say, you know, instead of being the doctor and lawyer that, you know, my mom wants me to be, right? I'm going to do theater. <laughs> I'm going to write for theater. Right. So I, so I actually come from a really small town in, in rural Iowa, 3,000 people. And so we actually didn't have really any performing arts there. Um, but what we did have was a really great library. And as a young as a young child, my, my actually my mother, you know, taught me to read at an early age, and just uh, introduced that love of reading. And um, so, from reading and books, I then started to discover, you know, uh, the video collections, uh, the VHS collection at the library, the cast albums of of musicals, and there was there was some you know some community theater that uh, sometimes I had to drive forty five minutes to be a part of it. Parents weren't crazy about driving me. <laughs> 45 minutes rehearsal for that all the time. But um, I was really hungry for it. And I think that what I learned early on was though I had fun performing in those shows um, and the camaraderie of being in a cast, uh, it wasn't really my true passion. And I was always interested in how these stories were being told and how they affected an audience, how they affected me, how they made me cry and made me laugh. And so I I just feel like at an early age I figured out that oh that was a job someone who someone who wrote this just like someone had to write the books that I read, um, and I identified that that was something that I was interested in in doing, um, and also during all of this, I, I, more I reflect upon it, you know this is also during the eighties um, and, and the nineties, and so and it was also happening, and so there was also this interesting storytelling being told through music videos. Um, and so that was also a huge influence of sort of like the visual storytelling, dramatic storytelling, um, how music got incorporated. And so that all sort of fed my, fed my vision and my passion. What hit you first, the musical theater or, you know, the music videos that when MTV launched during that time frame? 
Because I can remember, I can remember like getting bit by chorus line and cats and and all you know Chicago, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah. So for me, it was also. I mean, you know, I was in some of these these early sort of golden age musicals that I was in community theater, like The King and I, um, Oklahoma. Like the those were an influence. Um, but then I think it was also like a a connection of some you know, old movie musicals I was seeing because I was renting them from the library. And then I would see how they were um, the sort of postmodern version in the music videos and MTV. And I was just making those connections uh, and, and was excited about how I could, what I could do with those, the stories I could tell with those. Right. Yeah. Cause a lot of the, the um, beginning music videos of MTV did pulled a lot from those old MGM musicals, those sequences were pulled out. I was like, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. I've seen this before. <laughs> right? So what was your first, what was the first thing you ever penned? Do you remember? You know, I remember being very young, like uh, even maybe in kindergarten or first grade and writing like, you know, writing little tiny books and things like this. Um, but the, the thing that I really consider being my first sort of play, I, first play is that, um, I remember being in, again, in our, our, our library and kind of finding out like books about playwriting and sort of just, and figuring out what that was. And, but there was a, there was a contest. There was a, um, a, uh, young playwrights contest. And I said, I just sort of told myself like, oh, I'm going to write a play and I'm going to send it off to that. And, uh, and of course the play was like, you know, deeply autobiographical and like, you know. I feel like a lot of writers, we just all have to like get that out of us at some point. Um, and so I, uh, I did, I wrote that and then I sent that off. And then like, you know, almost a year later, they, I, they contacted me that I was uh, accepted and welcomed into this uh, uh, Young Playwrights Festival in New York. And that was the real first validation I had as a writer of like, what you're doing is, you know, you're, you're on the right track. Um, uh, here's what's working, here's what's maybe not working. Um, and that was that was really a formative experience for me. So I consider like that was like the first real play that I wrote. Um, that was called Against the Grain, and um, that was uh, that was the moment I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do with my life. That's that's when you got bitten. Yeah, yeah. Well, then you uh, you you became the co-founder and and an ensemble member of the Gift Theater Company in Chicago. So when you started writing plays for them and and really showcasing your talent. Um, how did you go about um, getting inspired by these now non-autobiographical plays that you were creating? Yeah, you know, so actually it was at this Young Playwrights um, Festival in New York where I met the co-founder of the Gift Theater Company. His name is Michael Patrick Thornton. And he um, and we both had plays that we were working on. We also found out we were both going to be going to the University of Iowa for our freshman year undergrad. And just we formed this friendship. We also just formed this, this sort of ongoing conversation about about theater and the stories we wanted to tell. And um, after I graduated from the University of Iowa, uh, I moved to Chicago and we started this company. He had been studying um, acting uh, at Steppenwolf Theater. There was a there was a um, school at Steppenwolf acting program. So he was meeting all these. He was meeting all these other you know, young, early 20s actors. And, um, 
and uh, an ensemble formed. I was welcomed as an ensemble. Uh, you know, I wasn't doing any acting. I was uh, I was helping produce, and I was also writing plays. And I was I, I learned to sort of write plays for this ensemble. Um, and that was uh, and again that was a great experience because I was, you know. Uh, during the day, I was working at theaters. I ended up actually working at Steppenwolf eventually, um, doing marketing and PR work. But um, working at theaters during the day, and then going and rehearsing my own plays or helping produce other plays at night. Um, at the time, I mean, the time it was just like this wild being in your twenties, like working and, and 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 going to the bar afterwards. And um, and now I kind of really look at it this uh, this time of like this apprenticeship of. Again, like working at Steppenwolf and seeing, you know, some of the shows I worked on there were like August Osage County that went on to win, you know, owning the Pulitzer and all that. Um, and then developing my own plays and 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 backing away from the autobiographical stuff and and, and also writing roles for those actors who are, who are in the ensemble. So when you uh, one of your plays, uh, Northwest Highway, ended up getting uh, this really prestigious nomination. What was that like for you, being still so new to writing plays? It was actually interesting because I had I had been working on it um, for several years, and I actually wrote it about the um, so our theater company, the Gift Theater. We were renting theaters uh, throughout the north side of of Chicago, um, which you know has this very again very famous theater scene, storefront theater scene, um, and I. I wrote this play for our ensemble, and then uh, it was also at a point where I was um, think, starting to think beyond working in Chicago, also beyond working in theater. And I uh, I was actually applying for film schools, and um, and actually had gotten into USC at this point, and so had, came back to do this play that I wrote for this for the neighborhood where our theater company eventually put down roots in the Northwest Side of Chicago in Jefferson Park, near O'Hare Airport. And um, it was, so it's funny because I, I wrote it for that neighborhood, but then I had gone away a little bit and it was in Los Angeles and came back for it. And so it was, it was funny, funny for me in a number of reasons because I ended up having the biggest success as soon as I left the city um, and it kind of came back for that. And it was it was also a, um, it was it was a play. It was very almost site-specific play in that in the terms of uh, I was referencing streets and and and, and restaurants and and uh, things happening in that community. Um, and so it was it was hyper-specific. Had no, you know I didn't grow. I mean, people assumed I had also like the co-founder uh, had grown up in this neighborhood. <laughs> no, I'm from rural Iowa. I'm not from I'm not from Chicago at all. Um, but uh, it was. Uh, it was seen as sort of a, um, a moment of a community coming together and the mayor came uh, and, you know, the, we, we extended several times and ended up running for several months. Um, and so it was really, it was a thrilling time. Uh, and for me, it was uh, getting back to some of those early, early impulse I had to write. I just loved how it was connecting with audiences and audience were, were getting, you know, in that in the first scene when they realized where the play was set and how specific the play was going to be, they really I could just feel them lock into the story. And I, you know, as a when you when as a writer when you have those moments, you realize, oh, now now you have so much freedom to do what you want and tell the stories you want to tell as long as you know how to lock the audience in and engage, and engage with the work. You ended up going to film school, so you started then looking at writing um, screenplays. What's 
what's your because there's people that that are listening in that are playwrights as well as screenplay writers what is your method um for writing a play and then we'll talk about your method and if it differs for writing you know a screenplay yeah it's certainly evolved and it's changed um but now currently having had this background working in theater and then having gone to film school and then having worked and done coverage and having you know we're uh, done various screenwriting assignments uh i now come around to from for me it's all about it's all about structure it's all about finding the story first and that's what i teach to to writers as well that um because for me and other people and look everybody has their own process but what the, the one the one that i advocate for i always say sort of you know metaphorically that like it is possible to get into your car in Los Angeles and drive east and eventually hit New York. Like, totally possible. You can just start driving east and that'll happen. But wouldn't it be faster, more enjoyable if you had a map? Um, maybe you could see some sites. Maybe you could eat some, eat, eat some nice restaurants along the way. And also, you could trust that you're going to get there eventually. Um, and so that's why I, I always say with everything, start with the story, start with the big five scenes that tell the whole story. Um, and I really, for me, I didn't really quite learn that until I got to film school, until I really started analyzing stories in a deep way and having those classes where we stop and say, inciting incident, end of act one, clear midpoint here, uh, those Though having those classes and then studying scripts that way and doing coverage and trying to identify, hmm, we don't seem to have an end of act two in this this submission that we we received. Very unclear what's happening. Um, how for me learning that and then I, I start to apply that to all my work. So clearly, if I'm writing a, a TV pilot, then then the structure is is going to be huge. But also, if I'm working on a musical theater project. You know, they always say, like, what starts, what comes first, the, the music, the lyrics? Neither. The book comes first. The story comes first. You have to figure out what's the story you're telling. Um, so, so that's now my own process and also what I teach. So in, in so just to clarify for those that are listening, writers that are listening in, because there's so many different ways, you know, to write, as you said. So, you know, I came from the background of you, you start with a treatment. You kind of throw it up on the page and then you take and you create your step outline. But you're advocating for taking five scenes. What strategic five scenes are you talking about? Can you clarify that for the people listening in? Absolutely, and, I, and I'm also a huge um, uh, fan and user of index cards. So I, ha I put index cards up on the board. So that for me comes before even, uh, uh, becomes before the outline. Um, so, the big, so the big five scenes are uh, you know, usually there's a big scene where, uh, you know, especially in a Pixar movie where we meet the character, we find out their world, and then something happens to them. Um, and that would be, in screenwriting terms, we call it an inciting incident. Uh, but that's usually just a big scene that starts to change the world or, or takes the character on a new journey. Um, we then have what's the end of Act 1, the beginning of Act 2, where the character is committed to this journey. Um, and that journey might be a literal journey to meet the wizard. It might be going to work um, for Miranda Priestly and Devil Wears Prada. Um, it, it could be embarking on a relationship. Um, but we, the character's committed to, to some sort of journey, and we also are clear of what the conflict is, what they're up against. 
and we have um, also the audience, again, because I'm very concerned with how the audience is taking this all in. Um, audience has hopes and fears for the character. We hope Dorothy makes it. We fear that there might not be a way back to Oz. Um, we, or we fear that what the Wicked Witch is going to do. Um, we then, the character goes on that journey, usually about halfway through the journey, things start, you know, might have a high point. Um, uh, in, in a lot of movies and stories, we have, you know, characters are coming together. There's a, a, a relation, you know, a relationship. They're maybe hooking up in the midpoint. There's a lot of sex in the midpoint scenes or celebrating with champagne. Um, and then that's all setting up, you know, creating this really great roller coaster because of course in stories, we, we would be so bored if we ever got on a roller coaster ride that was flat, right? We, we love, we as an audience love the ups and downs. So our, you know, engineering that, that high point at the midpoint so you can take us to the end of act two, um, where, you know, it's usually the lowest of the low point, dark night of the soul. Um, and at that point, you know, the audience feel has those fears and, and hopes that we asked them in the second, in that second scene are usually answered in a negative. And then we have the fifth scene, which is how it all ends. How and maybe and maybe it's a, not a happy ending, um, or or generally, you know, the character has a, a new strategy to f deal with their problem. So those five inciting incident, end of Act One, midpoint, end of Act Two, and then the climax, the finale. Those five scenes uh, for me, I don't move past those five and, until I know what those five scenes are. I I don't go any further. Any other idea? What? The heroine might be wearing what song might be playing any any snappy line of dialogue of course i write all those things down i, I catch I call them butterflies because at this point they're just distracting me from the work of figuring out what are those five most important scenes of my story you know for writers that are listening in and those that are pitching you know to the industry knowing and having those landmark scenes really creates a pitch, right? It gives you that pitch. So, um, you know, how does that, how would you advise the, the writers that maybe aren't familiar with using this technique um, to, to really launch into this, uh, chisel this out in their head. And then from there, where do you go directly to index cards? How, what's your pro what's, how do you advise them to go to move in? Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I'm working either with working myself or working with a collaborator or working or, you know, coaching or teaching a, a, another writer, it's, it becomes, and not until we have, I, I use the color white, but it can be any color index card, not until we have those five white cards, those five scenes, um, we don't, there's no other work. And in fact, like that can be your assignment for the week is just to write five sentences, you know, a sentence each on five cards. And that can take a week, that can take two weeks, that can take months. Um, it, it, and really anything else is a distraction. The other metaphor I use is like, we're building a house and we're going to put the four walls and the roof on top. And any other thing is like deciding the artwork in the, the guest bedroom. You know, it's like, it's so not important right now, right now, save it. Cause that idea might be useful later, but like focus on the five most important scenes that tell the story of your movie, um, that track that art, that so the, the journey of your character, your main character. And some, sometimes it might be involving like asking, who is my main character? Oh, I have this story. It's about my, based on what happened with my mom and my dad and my younger sibling. 
well, you have to really figure out like whose story is it, whose story, whose whose um, transformation are we watching? Who's um, you know who, what character goes on a change? Because I think again, we'd be what's the point of telling a story if the character if if those characters didn't learn anything or or didn't uh, it had no consequence to their life? Um, you know, like it's always, it'd be like, why would you tell that story to someone at a bar if it had like no consequence to you and no consequence to anybody else, right? We love stories that that where people change. Um, so. Figure out those five scenes, and then once you have those scenes in, then you can start tracking um, other characters, you know, supporting characters and their big scenes. And maybe they're five scenes, maybe they're less scenes for a romantic subplot or, um, you know, a friend or something else that's happening that's, um, you know, con contrasting with the main storyline. And I would do those on another color. And you do those colors. And then ultimately... Once you have all your storylines, uh, all in separate colors, I put them up on the board. And that's such a telling moment, Leslie, because if you notice that, for example, you have all your all your romantic subplot stories and the color red. I always choose red because red, love, right? So, um, and if you have, like, all these red cards in a clump in the middle, they're not, but they're nowhere else on the board, you can be like, that's, that's just doesn't, that looks like a funky mosaic and, like, like, Maybe we want more balance. Maybe we want to introduce those those love cards earlier, the the romantic story earlier, and we want it to extend throughout the whole story. Um, and the and what I love about index cards is you can move them around, you can shuffle them, and so many times for my either in my own process or working with somebody else, there will be these sort of Freudian slip moments where a card shuffles over, wind you know the breeze blows through and shuffles over, like. Oh my gosh, that's it. That card actually belongs over here. And now look how much it makes sense. If he gets fired before he proposes to her, blah, 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 blah. Um, so for me, once once that board feels great and locked, then I move on to the outline where um, I'm now adding in important details and maybe I'm adding in some of those butterflies, um, you know, where it's the proposal scene and I really want him to play the ukulele and uh, a, a cover version of whatever song. And and I put all that into the outline because for me, this is just like now getting all the details out. And once you feel like the outline's good, and I, and I personally just often get feedback from uh, peers, colleagues uh, on, on the outline or if it's a producer or whoever I'm working with um, or collaborator. And then once that outline feels ready to go, then I write, and I try to really t urge people to, or why I feel this process is important to me and why I, I advocate for it, is because once I'm at the out, once I'm done with the outline, I've gotten stuck in the outline, I'm ready to just write. It's a, it's a pure joy to write it, and I do, I can really get lost in the scene, and I can do all the, the woo-woo stuff that we know as writers, where we start to hear the character talking to us, and they're actually saying, oh, scratch it, don't say this, I really want to say this. And I can, just, I can be there and can channel it, and I can type it up, and it's, um, uh, it's not the sort of agonizing process that I used to have, where I would write 20 pages and then delete 20 pages, or, you know, this very common thing that happens to all, of, all starting screenwriters, I think, that we get to you know get to page 50 70 and then we putter out cuz we don't know what's going where it's going we don't know where the story's happening it feels feels lost um, or it feels like it wrapped up way too easily 
or an early. So, so the outline again is like this map that's now take. Now I can just trust to, it's going to take me where it's going to go. And sometimes maybe hey, something might shift. That's totally fine. Um, and I can adjust it in the outline and adjust it on the board, and uh, it at least makes me. Uh, it, it just gets me to that end of the first draft. Um, it, much more in a much healthier place um, as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of writers, new writers, they, they get stuck in, in writing that 30 pages, that first 30 pages that really means nothing to not nobody. Right. Like I, I, I always go, well, you know, honey, your, your script started on page 31. So let's delete everything. And that's where your story starts. I'm a big index card person with colored index cards because uh, I'm visual and so I can see and track those storylines in those different cards. And I'm always surprised that these young writers don't really use that. But, you know, I, I think a lot of uh, the younger teachers of writing don't have that that background of, you know, index card walls. You know, I also worked at, when I was going to USC for grad school, I, I interned on a TV show and then ended up working uh, on it uh, in its last seasons. It was the TV show Ugly Betty. And so, of course, writing is all, you know, it's all index cards and it's all staring at the board and working it until everyone in the room understands what's happening in, in this story. And so that was just an important skill set that I that I learned and pulled from that that job. That I, again, I've, now I apply it to everything. I apply it to musicals. Apply it, apply it to to everything I'm working on. Well, let's talk musicals. Let's talk Medusa the musical. <laughs> what? <laughs> so yeah. So so this was um, this was a long time in the making because um, I actually started working on this idea for a musical based on the Greek myth of Perseus and Medusa um, that many of us have at the snake hair. Um, and I, I actually wrote a very, very early, early, early draft in, um, in high school and, um, and, had, and helped me get some scholarship money for school um, and uh, had always stuck with me. I always said that she, she was always haunting me. Um, Medusa was always haunting me in my dreams that she wanted to sing. She wanted, she wanted her story to be told. Um, and uh, I would, every couple of years, I would revisit it or think or add, tinker with it here and there. And then um, I, uh, as soon as I graduated from USC, I actually met a, a, a pianist and, and um, composer um, named Kentaro Kameyama. And him and I, and I, he was like, let's collaborate, let's do something. Um, he was such a creative person. Um, and I said, well, you know what, there's this Medusa story I've been always wanting to tell. And so we started, we started working on that and, uh, worked on it for, you know, two or three years. And, um, he, uh, we, we finished that. And then, um, we, we wanted to keep, we wanted to work on something else. And so we, uh, we, we said, okay, well, Medusa was epic and Greek and, you know, the ancient and had a huge cast. Um, and so we, we started working on other projects. And meanwhile, um, I was, uh, I started working with, um, uh, Deaf West Theater, which is a theater company based here in Los Angeles that, um, features, uh, deaf performing artists. Um, and so I was working with them and getting to know them and they had, um, uh, they started a, a collaboration at the, the Getty Villa, um, the one in Malibu, which is 
focused on antiquities. And uh, so, yeah, you're, you're, it was it was this you know it's like so much in in the entertainment industry. I'll just say there's a blanket of movies, film, theater, music. Um, is it's these strange connections because um, they were having this meeting. They're like, okay, well, to, to do a show at the Getty Villa, we really needs to be somehow based on you know mythology in some way or Greek or you know Greek tragedies. Um, and so there's like, oh, well, you know, our friend Will like has this Medusa musical he's been talking about. And so it was just this perfect um, combination of events that led us to be able to work on it. Um, and we had a this workshop performance with for an audiences. Um, and that was in November 2019. And gosh, how grateful I was to have not only grateful for that experience, but also that, of course, shortly after that, all the theaters closed down because the pandemic hit. And so it was, it was for me and for, it was definitely my last working theater experience before the pandemic. For a lot of the audience, it was their last show they saw too. So I, I hear from people who are like, gosh, that was, the, that was the last live show I saw because then the world shut down. Um, so that's the, that's the story of, uh, that's the story of Medusa. The, and what was interesting then is the, so Kitaro and I, um, like I said, you know, we'd worked on this big Medusa show. We wanted to write something opposite. And so we wrote a, um, a two-person, a two-hander opera based on um, the life and death and art of the, uh, of the fashion designer, Alexander McQueen. Um, so that was our two, our, our two collaborations. And what was interesting about that, too, is one of the reasons we, we chose to do something about a fashion designer is that Kintara himself got interested in fashion and ended up becoming a fashion designer, going on Project Runway, winning Project One Runway, so again, you have all of like, you know, you, I'm, I'm such a Virgo. So I'm always like trying to plan and like plan my life and plan my career, all BS. And, and really it's like these funny things that like your composer becomes a fashion designer. And then, and now people want to go see a fashion designer opera because he wrote it. And so it's, you know, these, all these weird things you could never in a million years plan um, that end up becoming your, your career and your practice. So part of the, you know, having worked in Chicago theater, having worked in various capacities in, in you know, screenwriting and working in, you know, adapting things for, I was also adapting things on foreign series for net, for Netflix and doing different and doing coverage and doing pitching th and pitching shows and all this. I, I had a kind of a check-in, um, a check-in like, you know, in the last five to 10 years of, okay, what do I really want to do? Because a part of me wants to do everything and that's just not possible. Right. And so what do I want to focus on? And I kind of got in touch with my, that eight year old who was checking out the cast albums and who was obsessing over the, all those David Fincher music videos, um, and MPV and, um, and so saying, working both, you know, in theater and also in musical films. And I said, if I, if I could only do one thing, it would be, I would want to focus there. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, I, I mean, I love all, I love documentaries. I love, I love TV series, but that's really where I felt like I had the most to say. And so that's what I'm focusing on now. Um, and working with another composer right now, Grant Escandon, we're, we're working on a, a musical called Wanderlust. Um, we just did a, a workshop of it at, with um, really talented musical theater students at Cal State Fullerton and um, got through the, just a couple weeks ago, got through that process. And now we're, we're doing rewrites because writing is always about rewriting. Uh, 
And uh, doing that, doing those rewrites ba again based on what we were hearing, what we were seeing people respond to or not respond to, and we want to, we want, I want to get this on stage now that theaters are reopening, and you know, I want to make the film version of it. Um, and so that's that's where I'm placing a lot of my energy and focus right now. Last question, uh, or a couple of last questions. Uh, uh, what's your advice on, on young writers coming up the ranks? What piece of advice can you give them? I think the biggest advice is, you know, we, in high school, most of us read um, a short story, a poem, a play, maybe a Shakespeare play. Um, but no one reads, no one really reads a screenplay unless you're lucky enough to maybe have like a, a film class or something. Um, but most people just don't even, uh, if it is they're maybe they're studying a movie, watching and studying a movie. And so screenwriters read scripts, just read as many scripts as you can get. All of the Oscar nominated scripts are online and free. You, you know, go, go to, you know, go to a library, go to a bookstore and you can buy the, the books too. But like all of the Oscar nominated ones are freely posted online. And so just look at them, look how the words fall on the page. Look how the, that structure that I was talking about, how that's employed, whether we're talking about, you know, um, a, a Marvel movie or we're talking about a miniseries or we're talking about a Pixar, like whatever it is, um, an indie character drama. Look how that structure, um, which is really just about beginning, middles and ends, um, is how, how that is employed. And, and that would be my biggest advice. That would be awesome. Um, not enough young writers actually read screenplays. I always say, do coverage. Just you know, do it for free. Read scripts from an agent or manager and do coverage because they need the help and you need the experience. And there's a perfect match in heaven. I know. And I know that it's it's not everyone uh, has the ability to do internships for financial reasons or work reasons or whatever it is, but. I learned a lot at my internships and getting work from work, paid work from my internships. And I also reading those scripts, doing coverage, good scripts, bad scripts taught me so much. It also, it also reminded me that, um, while it can, uh, it, it, so much can be on the page. There's also something to be said about like the, um, the execution. And I always think back, I was given coverage on, um, the Coen Brothers script, um, A Serious Man. And it was just, you know, this was right after their follow-up to their, um, to um, No Country for Old Men. And so, you know, they'd won the Oscar. They could really make whatever movie they wanted to make. And I, I was so excited. I'm like, ooh, is this going to be bloody? Is this going to be, like, you know, funny Coen Brothers or, like, bloody Coen Brothers? And I was like, wait, it starts on the shtetl, and then now we're in, like, you know, suburban Minneapolis. And I just didn't get it. And I thought, um, and I didn't, you know, they were already making it. I was just lucky to, to read it. Uh, I wasn't doing coverage on it. But I, I, then when I saw it, I got the vision of it. So it, it's also just like a reminder of um, that this, we're not really in the literary arts. We are in this, these collaborative visual arts. And it takes a lot of different artists to come together. But it all does start on the page. What's a dirty little secret that you wish somebody had told you? And you have discovered this along your travels. I, I've been thinking about this lately because I was talking to I was talking to a, a student about this. Uh, that I remember when I was in college, I would say I had this line, 
oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Um, meaning like, oh, oh I'm going to write through the night. Uh, I'm going to go to the bar and then come home and write through the night and or, or whatever. And now I um, realize how important it is to to sleep, how important it is to dream, to really literally like have dreams. Uh, and also to, um, you know, be both focused and making sure you are getting your writing in, but also to... Um, to give your, yourself the, t the time and the space that you can, you know, look at those cards and, and think and, and, and meditate or journal or walk your dog because some, actually some of the biggest aha moments in my stories are happening when I'm not st sitting in front of the computer. In fact, I'm trying to, I'm trying to incorporate this even more in my practice of like, I'm not going to be in front of the computer until, unless I'm really doing very intentional work. Um, I'm not going to like, uh, try to pound something out. Um, so that would be my advice is to sleep and rest and create that space to, so that you can be creative. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us on Best in Fest. William Nedved, um, uh, I want to uh, shout out to everyone who has DM'd us and to make sure that you know the video component is on our YouTube channel. So uh, go over to La Femme YouTube and watch us there. Uh, we are on all the platforms. Make sure to uh, download us, subscribe, and rate us. We love hearing from you guys william shout out any socials and um he's available if, if somebody would like to coach with him writing so you can always um reach out to him on our socials what's your socials it's it's william nedved william n-e-d-v-e-d and it's that's also the the uh, url of the website too so williamnedved.com that's where you can reach me awesome thank you so much best in fest mm -hmm.